Yeah, sports was very, very important to my foundation. I mean, that's where you learn how to win. That's where you learn how to lose. And later on in life, as I started really to develop, I learned that you either win or you learn. Welcome to the Sports Backdrop, where we use sports as a backdrop for way bigger conversations. That includes discussing the latest trends and developments in the world of sports. I am your host, Eric Kazmop. This podcast exists because of the team at CADCM. At CADCM, we make content creation enjoyable. We are on a mission to help leaders create content, content that will improve lives, content to be proud of, content that fosters community. We know through firsthand experience how content brings people together, and we love helping make that happen. We produce podcasts, short-form videos, blog posts, and other written works, while also providing support in website development, social media management, and strategic planning. And we would be excited to help you. Visit cascm.com to learn more or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. This is a unique guest-hosted episode of The Sports Backdrop, and it's all about life after sports. Recently, I've had the opportunity to connect with and spend time with Rob Finkelstein, all thanks to Tim Claiborne and his locker room sports group. Rob is the CEO and founder of Alumni Direct, and he is the host of the podcast, Athletes to Entrepreneurs. We're bringing an episode of his show, to the sports epreneur platform because it's all about sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health. And with that, here's that special episode of Athletes to Entrepreneurs. How you doing today, Tim? I'm doing great, Rob. I'm really excited about the opportunity to tell my story and really just give back from my journey all the things that I've really experienced and really being able to pour that back into the community. So I'm excited, man. Oh, that's great. And we appreciate you being here. So I always ask, talk about playing sports growing up, and it could have been, obviously, you played football, but I'm sure you probably played baseball, basketball, whatever, but talk about how that shaped you up through high school and to college. Yeah, sports was very, very important to my foundation. I mean, that's where you learn how to win. That's where you learn how to lose. And later on in life, as I started really to develop, I learned that you either win or you learn. And so taking the lessons of what you were able to learn in that loss is what you're able to then apply to that game that next week or the practice the next day and and really get better. And that's the same thing throughout life and the same thing in entrepreneurship. There, there's great days. There's days that it's rough and tough, but you really have to take the silver lining out of all of the days where you don't feel that you uh, put some high numbers on the board and you just say, hey, look, this is going to allow me to come back and really have the compound effect. But Growing up, being put in position for myself in leadership positions very early where I was a captain on the team by my second or third year, Pop Warner. And football is where I really thrived when I was younger because there weren't too many other options growing up. I played soccer as my first sport when I was about like four or five years old. <laughs> and I really enjoyed soccer, just running down the field, kicking a ball and a goal. But then football as a form of all guys coming together and kind of like, all right, who has the ball? Let's all 11 go take them down. And once I get the ball, I don't want anybody tackling me. I'm taking all the way to the goal. But it was the preparation throughout the week that you ultimately saw whoever applied themselves during the practice week were the ones who really strived and really were able to succeed on game day. And I really fell in love with the process very early and I understood it. So being put in position of leadership, 
as well as understanding the process of preparation and what comes out of that. I think learning that and understanding that early was the, you know, the true basis of how I was able to succeed and what I did throughout my life so far. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's great. And, and then did you dream of being a professional athlete? I did, man. I mean, I know I was humble. I always told I was very humble growing up, but I was very grateful for the opportunity that I had in a moment. And I didn't take it for granted and look beyond the platform of where I was. But yes, I played Madden growing up. Yes, I watched, you know, games on Sunday and even some college games. I think when I was growing up, the NFL stood out more to me than college sports until I really started understanding what college was. But understanding the best players in the game of football, that's what you kind of modeled yourself after and had your favorite players. And then, of course, the franchise with Madden, they just did a great job of presenting that early. So that's what I grew up on and that's what I aspired to be. And then eventually, once I got very aware of, of the steps, high school, then college, and then going into the NFL, I started to then really start setting my eyes on what college institution would be the right fit for me. And I'll tell you some things later on here with how Rutgers University came into the mix. Okay, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as a fellow New Jersey. And uh, I always like to hear stories about Rutgers. Had some bunch of friends from high school went there. So I always talk about a joke around is that I wanted to be major league baseball player. Unfortunately, <laughs> the talent wasn't there, so I'm doing this. <laughs> yes, so, um, yes. you know, you played uh, football. One, one thing that um, every other show or so I, I bring up, but talk a little bit about social media. So, you know, when you were, I guess, in high school, it probably, if it was started, it was just starting type thing. Give me your thoughts on that as far as how athletes handle that. Because I know you got to be very careful. You hear a lot of stories of just, you know, unfortunately mistakes people make with social media. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I would say it was when I was in college is when a lot of guys around me like kind of was mumbling about Facebook and MySpace. That was kind of like the thing then. Instagram actually came around my senior year, which was in like 2012 is when it really started to buzz in a locker room. And that was my first account that I started. And so I remember it wasn't as much etiquette then. It was kind of just like, hey, take a picture. You know, you got a couple of different filters, post it, throw it up and, you know, whatever followers you got and whatever the system allowed you with the algorithms at the time, guys just had their fun with it. But now it's, you know, obviously transformed into a pillar to be able to generate income, to be able to tell your story, to be able to market you as a brand, your company as a brand, and just really push the envelope on creating awareness to tell the story that you want people to see. And I think it's so important to be very conscious and wise of what you're actually putting on the internet, because it could either put you in a very strong, successful position as a form of leveraging it, or it can completely dismantle your future and everything that you work for. So I think being very conscious and wise of what you put up and thinking twice, hey, like, what would this post get me? Not even saying, I want to take a picture, I'm going to post it through, I'm going to write a caption, and, and boom. Right. But truly saying, why am I taking this picture? What's the why behind anything that you're putting through, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, and now high school students, college students leveraging LinkedIn is really critical. I think now with the NIL and everything that's starting to really infuse into athletics, Athletes being able to really put the ball in their hands at a younger age. You know, high school, we were just learning about what resumes were. I think now, if you don't know what a resume is or have an idea coming out of, you know, uh, fifth grade, it's kind of like, all right, 
that's the time in middle school where you yeah. can really start shaping that. You can actually start, you know, doing some community service and really growing, you know, your extracurricular activities. So by the time you hit high school, you can start leveraging LinkedIn because that's where businesses lie. And that's where you being able to market yourself and being like top three in a country in your sport. Why not connect those dots and start getting NIL opportunities? Now, it's important to have the structure in terms of parents being able to manage what that young athlete is being exposed to and what they're actually focused on and doing. But why not start setting yourself up for success and long-term success? I mean, you think about a professional athlete's career, particularly in the space of the NFL or a real hard combat sport or contact sport, you have to look at the lifespan of what you have. And so that's now starting in high school and your last down you play in, particularly in the NFL, that stretch of time is nothing but opportunity to generate income for yourself and your family. So with all that said, I think social media as a pillar is is one that is just a part of, a major part of the journey of a young athlete now. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and you touched on it, so we'll, we'll bring it. You kind of set me up for the next question regarding uh, NIL name image likeness. Is it so when you were in college, it didn't exist yet? And I know that I've talked to other players too, like they would love to have it, but they also, t- I mean, you hear the stories of agents or, or maybe not even agents, you hear like donors and sponsors. And I guess it was a different way back then. But anyway, like with NIL, take, kind of give me both the positives and the negatives that you see. Yeah, so for me, I think my era, so I've been I've been removed now from college for 10 years. I graduated in, in 2012. And I would say when I was in school, you know, the thought of being paid as an athlete was kind of like such an afterthought at that point. Like it wasn't even something real enough that we can like chomp our bits at. Like, can't wait till it's passing out, right? But as social media started to rise, especially as I was in the NFL and I'm seeing college athletes really starting to shine and grow major following. Now you're looking at, okay, what if they leveraged that following and truly, you know, started to monetize the influence that they had. So now looking at kind of that evolution, it was almost like when the the sound bites started to come out of this NIL thing really starting to be pushed through, it was almost like, okay, when is it going to happen? Because it's definitely going to happen. Right. And now that it has happened, I mean, you see some of the stories and I think it's incredible. I think not everyone truly gets the opportunity to go all the way to professional sports and actually make it and then make it something that could create some form of generational wealth for their family or at least a head start or a good jump in life. But sometimes you hear the stories that there's athletes that truly only go through their college career or a certain amount of years through their college career before the inevitable injury could happen or the inevitable mistake could actually happen. So if you can walk in the door and you can, again, starting in high school, build a following and, you know, some type of uh, influence and attraction by brands and by institutions such as colleges, why not from the day you walk in as a freshman, start truly bringing in some opportunity to generate income for you and your family. So I think it's the positives there. The only negative I see is the opportunities out there and the examples where the management and the structure around the athlete isn't in place 
And I think everybody is learning on the fly from the administrative staff to the coaching staffs to the actual players themselves. Everyone is figuring out at the same time how this thing needs to work and how it needs to look. So I don't think it's a fault on, you know, some of the examples we see. Yes, there could just be some very unfortunate mistakes that's been brewing for a long time. But those one mistakes in life, everyone makes mistakes as athletes. It's unfortunate, but we live in a glass bowl. So that's the nature of understanding that anything you do is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be seen at that very moment. And it's going to be amplified to the point where it just cripples some of our athletes who really can't handle it. So I think the structure is important. And as long as that's there, I see it as a big positive. Yeah, I agree. And I think the education is probably, there needs to be more of it because it's, you know, we always talk about it and I, you know, we're talking about athletes, but it's just young people in general. Sometimes just the whole, you know, to understand the management of the money even. And that, you know, I heard one story recently where this athlete made, let's say $30,000, $40,000. And because they did, they lost their scholarship because it kind of like put them over another threshold. Mm. And then they spent all their money with their friends on different toys. And all of a sudden, like, uh-oh, what do I do? Like, I don't have a scholarship. I spent my... So that's the thing. But I think it's a great thing. I think the education, and, and like you said, it's everybody's kind of learning it right now. You know, things I think will change. So let's talk about athletes transitioning out of sports. So you go into college and, and you're playing a sport. When you were at Rutgers then, or even maybe now, talk about, was there education of more of that big picture? I mean, obviously, you've done fantastic yourself, but as a school... Did you see any of that where there's additional classes to kind of help prepare athletes that once their sport is over, you know, there's other things they can do? Yes. So from a macro standpoint, when I was in college and what I was being exposed to at that time, there was a lot of different examples pulled and technology was where it was at 15 years ago because I went in college in 2018. Right. So, you know, 15 years ago, being presented with these presentations of why you should come to our particular school versus others and what, from a macro standpoint, the NCAA is doing for college athletes. I felt like consciously and from an effort standpoint, they were always trying to put in programs and different exposure points for the athletes to just find what strikes your interest outside of sport. Okay. And, you know, like, Here are all the list of majors and minors and different activities that you can get infused in, whether it was internships or anything outside of whatever time you had on your hand that you could be useful of it. But I can only speak from my experience. And just to, you know, before this doesn't get mentioned, I I just wanted to give a quick background. So I grew up in Neptune, New Jersey, and the school name was Neptune Scarlet Flyers. At a very young age, I was a sophomore in high school and our coaching staff had got dismantled and there was something that I saw in my academic performance that I needed something better. So I went to my parents and I approached them. I said, hey, hey, mom, dad, do you mind if I transfer to Wall Township? And Wall Township was on the other side of town in the uh, county that we lived in. And they literally, without a second thought, they said, Tim. You have your body of work and your track record. We trust you and we're behind whatever you feel and will be best for you. I transferred and that school name was Wall Crimson Knights. But not least, in Neptune, I grew up on a street named Rutgers. 
Wow. If you put all of it together, it spells out Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And when I realized that I'm, you know, just me being who I am, of, of course, <laughs> like where I am today and what I'm doing today and really being an example of more than an athlete, I'm able to speak from a place that I was conscious of this very early. And I give a lot of thanks and just my gratitude to my family and raising me this way. I know I was born with something in me, but they also reinforced it to bring the greatness out of me. But making that decision was the best decision I made to transfer. And then the position that it put me in to actually earn a full scholarship to Rutgers, it was like, boom, I made it happen. So I had the option of, by the time I committed my junior year of high school, I had about 15 or so full full ride uh, scholarships from pretty much all the Big East and then a few other schools. I was told by recruiters that if I didn't commit yet and I didn't, you know, waited till, you know, sign my senior year of high school, I probably would have had every college in the country as an offer. And so with that said, I was going into it where I wanted to set myself up from an academic position so that after school, no matter what happened, I was going to be in a successful position. Athletics, I, you know, believed in Coach Chiano, and he was a phenomenal coach and actually made an impact on all of the program. Every player that comes through Rutgers University, he's turning boys into men. And there's times where I've heard from my teammates and colleagues throughout college, and then especially talking about the stories and reminiscing afterwards, we were just saying, and this is a reflection on his effort to put these programs in place around us while we were in school. But guys would just talk about how tough it was in college, but then say, man, I'm so grateful for Coach Chiano literally infusing those core values into me because it's what I rely on today as a man, a husband, a father. And so I'm speaking from that, from my experience directly. That's what the program, that's what the culture, and that's what the university gave to us. It was an open book. It was an open opportunity. And the resources were there. It's only so much you can actually demand an athlete or a player to do. But I would say my experience at Rutgers and what they offered, and then now from what I'm seeing in terms of all of these athletes now really trying to transition into business, you know, there's a good portion of those athletes who are true entrepreneurs like literally create something from scratch and build it and see it all the way through. But there's a lot of actual businessmen and businesswomen that come through college athletics and then go into whatever career afterwards if they have an opportunity to play professional sports. But once they leave, what does that look like? And, right. you know, for me, NFL, I understood, again, just being very observant of the platform I was on and my surroundings. NFL stood for not for long. And so knowing that, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to just blindly ride this wave, ride this career out and do what I can and not even think about anything outside the lines. But I was always growing up a very imaginative person. And I always thought outside the box. And now in business, I'm told by many that I'm a visionary, but I know how to execute. And so growing up with a big imagination, that's exactly the appropriate type of, you know, the phase in your life where you want to dream big, you want to think outside the box. And once you plant that seed, it just grows over time. So for me, that's what I am. That's how I see NCAA as a whole and the resources they bring from a macro standpoint. But I know 
there's always more from a micro standpoint. And that's what, you know, we're waiting to see. We're waiting to see. It's evolving. We see a lot of product and a lot of good examples coming out, you know, such as myself and others, but it can always be more. And it's not only on the institution or the staff or the administrative ecosystem, it's also on the athlete too to understand it and go get more because it's out there. Yeah, you know, I've talked to some different like coaches and agents and they they say the same thing. I mean, I think you could have all the programs out there, but ultimately the athlete has to buy into it too. And, you know, when they're so zoned in on sports, sometimes they might not be able to, but like your story is great. You obviously saw that all the way through and looked at the bigger picture. I think a lot of times they're they're kind of drilled down into the more than it, the sport itself. So talk a little bit about alumni direct, we're kind of about obviously about alumni engagement and mm-hmm. just the importance of networking, connecting with alumni. So kind of twofold. One, when you were at Rutgers, did alumni come back? And, and I'm talking about, it doesn't matter whether they're athlete alumni, but alumni in general, talking to the athletes and not just, you know, coming back for like, you know, golf and things like that, but more about job opportunities, mentoring, things like that. And then talk about when you were there and then maybe talk about today and maybe your interaction with Rutgers. Yeah. Yeah. No, Coach Chiano, the staff, they both athletics, both former athletes and letter winners of Rutgers University and schools, they always open the door for guys to come back and be around. And for me, I definitely saw that, like, especially the NFL guys that came back, they're alumni, right? right? But when they came back and they actually laced up the cleats during summer workouts and was on the turf with us and doing workouts and doing one-on-ones afterwards, you model yourself after that. So that was great influence. And it was, again, having the open door that the staff was so you know, adamant about bringing guys in to have that engagement was critical. But I also appreciated and I had just as much interest when the staff actually brought folks in that didn't necessarily, maybe they did go to a professional level in terms of the actual sport itself, but they were successful in business. Yeah. They were successful in corporate America. And so that's what I also listened to very keenly because, again, growing up, both my interests were athletics and entrepreneurship. Yeah. I just loved it. And I listened very keenly and paid attention to it. It wasn't an afterthought. I didn't tune out when someone came in to talk about the importance of business or the importance of having a great career outside the lines. But yes, we definitely got exposed to it. And I would say nowadays, I see it the same way. You kind of follow some some college platforms and you see who they bring in, you see who they're exposed to. And I truly think that social media platforms, they bring the world closer together. You know, platforms such as Alumni Direct, it brings the world closer together specifically for what the impact you want to make and the influence you want to make in the space of alumni, the space of college athletics, the space of athletes and bringing everybody together with this understanding. And of course, corporate folks and whatever is able to be now offered in terms of a career outside of sport, right? Right. So from what I'm seeing with social media and all of these institutions essentially putting their highlights on their platform, you see that there's never a moment that you can't stop bringing just good reinforcement in. And I just think that creates a great platform for impact for all the athletes and for all the student body that goes to college. Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely people need to tap into. I mean, I was one guy, an agent, was telling me that the biggest thing he sees is the best time for athletes to be networking is when they're still playing. 
And he said a lot of and a lot of athletes don't necessarily do that. And then when the time's over, unless you're again some superstar athlete that everybody knows your name, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, it's not as easy as you thought because you just didn't build that network and that that group behind you. Yeah. See, I would say for like for myself, it was the second half of my uh, college career. I think it was maybe around my junior year where I really started to be active with networking. But when I was younger, when I was a freshman, sophomore, and I would hear it, it didn't resonate as much as it did and once you're starting to mature and get older. That's the reality of evolution. Sure. You know, it doesn't just, okay, because I'm telling you it's going to click. But yeah. what I would tell the younger athletes and the younger students in college, even in high school, because it now, again, the habits and the conditioning of what you do and what was happening in college 10 years ago, 15, now it's now in high school, right? So what I would say is for younger athletes and younger students, take heed of what people are saying that's now removed from college and who are now alumni and who are now business people or professional athletes. Take heed of what they're saying of the importance of networking. Yeah. And as long as you're open to hearing that and processing that, once it does click, that's when you can take the most advantage of the idea of networking. Yeah. And for myself, you know, in business, you have these up and downs. We talked about it very early on, you know, the hard times, the good times, the wins and the lessons, right? I tore my ACL at the height of my career, my sophomore year at Rutgers. I was going in to dominate the country. I was going in to be a game-changing wide receiver. And I actually played wide receiver in college. And then in the NFL, I got my position switched to tight end. And that's where I was able to then thrive. But when I tore my ACL, at the height of all the work that I put in, like anybody from my team will tell you from the coaching staff down, Tim Wright was about to literally rip the NCAA in half. And right on the field, pretty much last play of practice, two-minute drill, I run a route, catch a pass, I get twisted up. Ugh. Done. Just like that. The entire season done just like that. What do you do now? And that's where I had to get up. I had to shake it off. I got my surgery and I never looked back. I said, I'm coming back and I'm going to be even better and I'm going to make even more of an impact on just the environment around me at that time. So that's what I was able to learn from. And then in the NFL, it happened again. Boom. Tore my ACL in 2016. Same one? No, the opposite one. Okay. And that's why I said, not only did I know the business of sports, but I truly said, for me and, and my journey through this profession, NFL is not for long. So what do I do? And yeah, man, I made it worth what it was. So talk about, because um, in a sense, you had like many transitions there, but talk about your first year transition out of college sports into professional. And then after that, talk about professional into the real world, so to speak. Absolutely. So no, everything I learned through, just throughout my upbringing, again, I'll take it back to my family raising me. I'm grateful for that. Grateful for all the lessons in sports, like the first topic we were on. And then going through college now, now you're a young man. Nobody's holding your hand anymore. And you have to make it again worth your while. When I got the opportunity to go into the NFL, I was undrafted. So I didn't get selected. I had the option to choose where I went to have the best opportunity to make it. When I went in there, 
Unfortunately, Coach Fiano from Rutgers was then the head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where I chose the power of networking, the power of making relationships. So that's the importance. Networking is a cliche idea in a sense. The power of building relationships is where you truly optimize working, right? So half the staff from Rutgers ended up going with Coach Chiano down to Tampa. And I did five years at school. I tore my ACL my third year, and I did my last two years there. And Coach Chiano left after my fourth year. So when I got down there, all the relationships that I had at Rutgers was essentially scattered throughout the building. And it was that that truly supported the hump that I had to go over, the bridge I had to cross, or the mountain that I had to climb to transition from wide receiver to tight end. Walking in a room with six other tight ends, I was seventh on the depth chart, never the position as an undrafted free agent. I was the youngest in the room. By the end of training camp, I ended up beating four of the guys to make the roster. Uh After the third game, the fourth game, I ended up winning the starting position and never looked back. I broke the franchise record for touchdowns. I tied the NFL record over the last 10 years for the most catches by a rookie tight end. Next thing you know, I get tapped on my shoulder and I'm traded. Three hours later, I'm on a flight from the practice field in Tampa Bay to the doors of New England. I walk in, I shake Bill Belichick's hand. He says, Tim Wright, we're glad you're here. Now you have to learn 60 plays overnight and you're stuck in the game tomorrow so we can see This is who we actually just brought in this door and that you can perform and stay here. When I walked in the locker room, I'm walking past, you know, future Hall of Famers, pro ball players, all pro. And they said, come over here, meet Tom. They said, hey, Tom, look who's here. And he stands up and he said, Timmy Wright, I know who you are. Let's go win this thing. I look up and my locker is right next to Tom Brady. Wow, that's awesome. Just talking about this, playing Madden at 12 years old, 13 years old, using (laughs) Tom Brady, right? And now in real life, I'm sitting next to this guy. He said, let's go win it. I hit the ground running and I caught six touchdowns from Tom Brady and ended up bringing home the Super Bowl championship. There you go. There we see it again. (laughs) Like It's that. It's that. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's an evolution of the seeds that you plant in life. And so with that said, you know, taking that, tearing my ACL after year three, I ended up going to Detroit, you know, had a pretty much a successful season for the time that I was able to, you know, get on the field. It was a situation where I got traded again and they had some guys already established. But when I got on the field, I made it count. And that's the most important thing. The time you get, make it count. And then I tore my ACL in 2016. I come back to Rutgers and I didn't talk about this yet, but at the age of 13, I picked up a pair of clippers from a bad haircut and literally I started cutting my hair because I love art all throughout my life. I had the best projects and I was just a very neat and crafty person and creative person. My dad showed me a couple tips. I started cutting my hair and for the last 20 years, I've been cutting my hair all throughout high school. I cut my hair. I started expanding my clientele. When I got to college, I was a full-time student, a full-time football player and eventually a captain and a full-time barber. And I did that throughout all five years. When I tore my ACL and I was able to stand on my leg, I literally was cutting hair. And that was the way that I was able to lead 
from the locker room and the sideline. But the students all from around Rutgers that came from all different parts of the world were some of my clients. And so each week I got to pick people's brains about what they love from, you know, the standpoint of being a consumer, what they didn't like about certain things in the market, certain products, certain brands. And it was just, think about it as you're, you know, when you sit down with your barber or your hairstylist or, you know, it's like a form of therapy. Yeah. And me as the barber, cutting hundreds of people's heads, all ranges, coaches, coaches, kids, my peers, my teammates, college students, like through all different grade levels, I was able to soak that all in. And I said, when I have the means one day, this was my vow, literally, and we talk about this. I was asked to be the keynote speaker at my senior year's alumni luncheon and our scholarship luncheon. And when I spoke, all the alumni, all the donors, people started coming up to me after because I said two things. I said, one day I want to start a foundation and I ended up naming it the Right Way Academy. And I was able to achieve that in 2015, literally two or three years after I finished school. I also said, I want to come back and I want to open up a business on campus called The Right Cut. And in 2016, I was able to come back and open the doors for The Right Cut. And it's been going for seven years now and it's made incredible impact on the university. That's and awesome. So I already knew what I had in mind and what my mission was, what I wanted to accomplish. But now what I'm doing is impacting the world with the future of sound. And that's Dome Audio. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network.